0: Our text is John chapter 5 as we continue through the gospel of John leading us up to that season of Good Friday and Easter. John's gospel chapter number 5 for our text today. I grew up on the Sour Springs Road. And the reason it was called Sour Spring because that back at the turn of the century, when that's the last century in the 1890s, there was a major uh, tourist attraction down in the heart of the Alabama swamps. Hard to believe. It <laughs> was a large and quite fancy hotel called the Sour Springs Hotel. And Back in those days, they built a road directly from Route 63 over to the hotel. The swamp has since washed a lot of that road away, but if you know where to look, you can still see the old road that led to the hotel. It was a large two story building with a great big porch that wrapped all the way around it. And in those days, people took the train into Basem, a major stop, <laughs> and then rode the stagecoach down to the Sour Springs Hotel. Now, the reason for their visits were to both drink the water and bathe in the acid spring water that was discovered there in the swamp. There were seven wells dug right in the swamp there that supplied the, quote, spring water, unquote. When I was a boy, we used to go back to the site where the hotel stood. There was a huge pile of broken glass there as big as one side of the church here. Uh, They used to bottle that stuff and sell it uh, for as a tonic for good health. Uh, but if you uh, really wanted to enjoy the water's healing powers, you went to the hotel and took a bath in that old swamp water. <laughs> when I was a boy, my father held my feet and I stuck my head down in one of them old wells. And the water was yellow, just as yellow as can be, and it bubbled continually. Because it was full of sulfur, but it was yellow, it wasn't black like most sulfur, it was yellow. And the sulfur gases escaped from the water, which caused it to bubble. My thought uh, was, who would ever want to drink that water? And who would really take a bath in that smelly old swamp water? Of course, it was supposed to cure whatever ailed you. And you might think it was just a hoax perpetrated on people who could pay for it to remove them from their money. (laughs) I'm not sure that drinking or bathing in that old yellow water did anyone any good, but I'm sure it didn't do them any harm either. Uh, But before I would dismiss it entirely as nothing but a hoax, I would have to say that there's more to feeling good than just medicine. I would have to say that if a person truly believed that that yellow sulfur water could help them, that their faith in the healing power may have played a role in the success of the old sour Spring. In our text today, we find a very similar situation 2,000 years ago that was built on the same belief that spring waters had a healing power. So we begin in John chapter 5 for our text today, reading at verse 1. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Uh, Whosoever was first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Now some versions of the Bible leave out verse 4 because they dismiss the whole idea as a hoax. I've read many arguments both for and against the troubling of the water by the angels or the stirring of it in the waters of the pool of Bethesda. Uh, The Jews often attributed special things to the work of an angel. Therefore, the idea that an angel actually did stir up the water is in question. Some people say the spring that fed the pool, which was piped into the pool, the pool was carved out of rock, at certain times released some cloudy water due to maybe weather conditions or a change in the water table. But let me assure you, all such arguments are a waste of time. Obviously, those many blind and lame and paralyzed people who gathered under those five porches believed it. They also believed if you got into the water first, before anyone else could... When the water suddenly turned cloudy, you would be healed. And so it was the sick and lame that gathered there around the pool of Bethesda in large numbers because they believed that that was true. Now, There's a special situation described in our text. Just north of the temple property in Jerusalem uh, was... An entrance into the city called the Sheep Gate. And the sheep and the lambs that were used for sacrifice in the temple were driven into Jerusalem through this gate, past the pool of Bethesda, and to the temple for sacrifice. People also used the sheep gate as sort of a shortcut to the temple, and especially during a holiday when a great many visitors came to Jerusalem to celebrate at the temple. The sheep gate was used by many people. So it was very likely that the people who were crippled and blind begged for money from the many people passing through the sheep gate on their way to the temple. Now, if it was you, and you were passing by a whole group of blind beggars and crippled folks, and you had one or two coins to share, you would probably look for one or two people who looked the most needy, who looked like they were the most desperate cases, and give your coins to the person that needed the most help. But on this day, one of the visitors coming through the gate is Jesus of Nazareth. And as he's passing by this gathering place for sick people, he will do what everyone else does. He will look for the most desperate case to give help. But Jesus has something better than money. Verse number five. A certain man was there which had infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The infinite man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now my friends, this short passage absolutely fills my mind with questions. There are many questions I want to ask about the situation described here. And I must stop and address those questions before I go on. Number one question. Up in Galilee, it was common for Jesus to help crowds of people, hundreds, even crowds up into the thousands, came to Jesus for healing. And he would heal every time, everyone in the whole crowd. Which sometimes took hours, there were so many cases. But here, by the pool of Bethesda, where a whole large group of sick people are gathered, Jesus only heals one person. Why? Why not heal them all? Question number two. Why did Jesus single out this particular crippled man? What was there about him that caught Jesus eye? Why him? Question number three. It seems that Jesus healed this man. And then before anybody could notice, he slipped away into the crowd and disappeared. Why does he seek anonymity? Why does he keep his identity secret? From the man he's just healed. Question number four. Why did Jesus tell the man to pick up his bed and carry it? It's going to cause an uproar. So why cause an uproar? So let's answer those questions one by one to see if we can understand why Jesus did what he did at this particular day at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. First, why not heal everybody? The center of Jewish culture was the temple. All of their religious ideas, all of their culture, all of their national identity came from that temple. And in Jerusalem, the leaders of that temple held absolute sway over Jerusalem and all of its inhabitants. Those Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus already and decided that he was not the Messiah before they even knew anything about him. Why did they reject him? Because he was an outsider. He wasn't one of them. My friends, if you want something, Jesus, to do something for you, you first have got to believe in him. He can't help you if you don't believe in him. So Jerusalem and the temple leaders cast a spell of doubt over all the people in Jerusalem. Therefore Jesus cannot do what he did up in Galilee. Galilee were plain, ordinary working people living their everyday lives far away from the bad influences of Jerusalem. It was much Reason to believe in Jesus up in Galilee. And there was no one to chastise you if you did. Therefore Jesus in the shadow of the temple. Only healed one person. Because he's surrounded by doubters. Number two. Why that man? He seems to be the most desperate case. He cannot walk at all. He only crawls along the ground. And he hasn't walked in 38 years. Where were you 38 years ago? Does it seem like a whole lifetime? 1982? when you were young and energetic back then? What happened to you over those last 38 years? Now just think of it. This man has not been able to walk for 38 years. A lifetime. He was a young man. And somehow, injured no doubt, left crippled for 38 years, he was unable to do anything to reverse his situation. No doctors, no exercises, no therapy, nothing would help. And now he sits hopelessly by the pool of Bethesda, explaining to Jesus that when the waters do stir up, And healing is available. I don't have one person to help me into the pool. So every time somebody gets there before me. You see what matters is. He believes the waters can heal him. Just like sour springs. A truly hopeless case. And who knows how many years he's been sitting under those porches only hoping for a few coins from persons passing by to help him survive his miserable existence. Is that why Jesus picked him? Well, maybe. That may be one of the reasons, but there's more to it with Jesus. Jesus. Now remember what we have learned so far in our book of John about Jesus. Jesus can read people. He can look inside of them and know all about them. Jesus sees something that we can't see. He sees someone in spite of that cloud of doubt that surrounds the temple. And everyone in his shadow will actually believe him. Now his faith is feeble. And Jesus sees him so hopeless, so dejected, and so depressed. And Jesus decided to ask him one of his very penetrating questions, like Jesus knew how to do. Like when he said to Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a ruler of the Jews and you don't understand spiritual truth. (laughs) Like he said to the Samaritan woman, go get your husband. And now to this crippled man who's been there for 38 years, he asks, Do you want to be well? A question that the man only answers in the negative, I don't have anybody to help me to get to the water. Oh, oh. Yes, I guess I want to be healed. But after... 38 years of failure. (sighs) Jesus, knowing what's in the man's heart, tries to wake up some hope, but it only flickers. Yes, and then goes out, but I don't have anybody. But Jesus, seeing something inside that we cannot see, says, get up, roll up your bed, put it on your shoulder, and walk. Now, we've got a lot of these folks around here, people who have had knee surgeries and hip surgeries and all kinds of things, and they have to learn to walk afterwards. They go to therapy and ride the bicycle and step up the steps, like starting from scratch. My friends, Jesus Patients never needed therapy. Ha ha ha. He hasn't walked for 38 years. And when Jesus says get up and walk, those legs work perfectly. That's why we call him the great physician. No walkers to walk along with, no canes, no therapy, just get up and go. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. Now, before we answer the last two questions, Verse 10, the Jews said, therefore, unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. they asked him, what man is it which said this unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed, wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, and a multitude being in that place, Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Question number three, why did Jesus disappear into the crowd as soon as he healed the man? Look, when you stand on your feet for the first time in 38 years, (laughs) your mind... And your senses are reeling. You're amazed. You're thrilled. You're overjoyed. Sensations tingling through those legs that you haven't felt in 38 years. Every nerve restored. Every muscle flexing. And when you realize what happened, you turn around. and Where would he go? He's gone. And I don't even know who he was. Why does Jesus go? Why not stay and celebrate? Because he told the man, pick up your bed, put it on your shoulder, carry it, and go walking. Jesus knows that those temple Jews are going to go after this man like a pack of wild dogs. You can't carry that bed. It's a Sabbath. Put it down. Carrying any burden on a Sabbath day is a criminal offense. You are not allowed to carry that bed today. The man's answer is perfect. Perfect answer. The man who healed my legs told me to carry my bed. <laughs> perfect answer. The man who healed me, who delivered me from 38 years of despair, who changed my life forever, who made me complete and whole again, he did that for me. And so I intend to do whatever he tells me to do. And so he said, Carry my bed. So I'm carrying my bed. My friends, you couldn't get it any more right than that. That's why he was chosen. There is faith in action. When someone can change your life and restore you and make you whole, and it's only logical to do whatever they tell you to do. My friends, Jesus has forgiven me. He's given me eternal life. He's taken away my guilt, calmed all my fears, promised me a mansion in heaven, and I intend to do whatever he tells me to do. It's the only logical response for what he did for me. So why hide his identity? Because Jesus wants the man to explain to the Jews who are attacking him for carrying his bed that it's a reasonable thing to obey someone who can heal you with such power. I'm sure he must have thought in his mind, you all walked by me for 38 years and you all ignored me and occasionally you dropped a coin in my cup but you didn't do one thing to help me. This man, whoever he was, healed me instantaneously. I choose to do what he says and not what you say. I'm carrying this bed. Now if they were honest... They would have agreed with that logic. They would have shook his hand and said, Congratulations, I'll bet you're having the best day of your life. Praise the Lord, you can walk. But they didn't. They looked down their long noses. They said, we don't care about your legs. We don't care what you've been doing for the last 30 years. You're breaking one of our rules. Put that bed down. Now Jesus gave them a chance to judge the case without being prejudiced. That is, they didn't know who healed the man. Judge it by the facts. 38 years crippled and now walking around in perfect health. Jesus finds the man in the temple and says, I healed you, Jesus of Nazareth. Now go and sin no more unless something worse happens to you. Who knows what happens. Maybe the fellow got drunk, fell into a ditch and injured his spinal cord. Whatever it was, Jesus said, no more bad behavior from you. You understand? But the man runs back to the Jews and said, it was Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who healed me. And they said, oh, that figures. That figures. It sounds like something he would do. Telling you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. You know, we need to take him out. We need to kill him. What a response to a man who hasn't walked for 38 years. So they go after Jesus. Who do you think you are? They find him in the temple. Who do you think you are healing on the Sabbath day and making that poor fool carry his bed? Jesus answered, verse 17. Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but also they said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In Jewish culture, the Father and the Son were perfect equals. They had the same authority, same ownership of property. Equal in every way. So if you say God is your father. You're claiming to be equal with God. So Jesus tells him. My father works. So do I. We are equals. So we both work on the same thing. That must have made him angry. (laughs) But Jesus went on to make a speech. That was second to none. A magnificent speech the rest of the chapter. He said this to those people. My father gives life to whoever he wants to, so do I. My father can raise the dead, so can I. I do what my father tells me to do. I have healed this man on his command. He works and I work. So watch me, keep your eye on me, you'll see greater things than that. My father to honor me has given me to be the judge over the whole human race. And you think if I say something about myself, it can't be true. But John the Baptist told you who I was. And if you would read your Bible, you would find things there all about me. And he said to them, Someday I'm going to give a command. And at the sound of my voice, every person that ever died is going to rise again and come to judgment. And I will sit on a throne and judge the whole world. Wow, what a speech. Clearly laid out. Logically stated. Jesus says to those gathered right there, I am the Son of God. It was the testimony of a man crippled for 38 years that gave Jesus the opportunity to explain to those Jewish leaders exactly who he was. That's why it all took place. Their response? We need to kill him. Right there under their noses, the Son of God did this thrilling miracle. Healed a man who was crippled for 38 years. And all they can say is it's not legal to carry a burden on the Sabbath day. I'll tell you what, my friends. You got a brand new set of legs after 38 years. Carrying your bed is no burden to you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's light as a feather. It's a celebration. It's a flag flown high. It's praise to God's almighty son. Don't let some narrow-minded Pharisee tell you any different. And Jesus picked that man to heal. He sure picked the right one. Now the course is set. John explained to us in the first chapter of his gospel that Jesus was full Of grace and truth. He has acted in kindness and grace. Healing a cripple. And he told the truth. I am God's son. And he told us. God is a worker. He's working on people all the time. So the best thing we can do. Is do like the lame man said. Believe it. And then obey. And do what we're told. May you find it easy to obey the one who has done so much for your soul. Shall we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the thrilling stories of Jesus and for the logic in one man it says I intend to trust him and obey him. We thank you for the story that assures us who Jesus is as he lays out God's plan in front of people that they might know what it is. We have it now laid in front of us too on this day that we might know who God is and what we ought to do to respond bless us as we respond as we should. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. In closing I'd like you to turn your hymn books to hymn number 223. Standing as we sing in closing hymn number 223 Trust and Obey.
1: Page 223.
2: (laughs) When we were We only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Ask Levi to close the
0: word
1: of prayer. Lord, we come to you grateful. For the things you have done for us. You have come to us and asked us that question. If we want to be made whole. We want to be taken from that old life and changed. Lord, we know that you have the power to do it. So we pray that we would be willing. We pray that our hearts would be willing to step up and step forth in faith. We have, may have something new in our life each day may we, that we may reach for you and know that you have done great and mighty things. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be obedient. When you have told us to do something, may we be obedient to you and walk in faith, carry our bed as this man did, and not worry about what others would say but just to know that you have called us to do something and we will do it help us to have that right heart and right mind and be ready to receive and to learn more and know about who God is and how you are going to work we do not know the things of God as deeply as we should and so we pray that we would ask and wait patiently and look for God to work in our lives we are grateful for these things and we ask for protection and care and watch As we go from this place, may we all come back and be the people we ought to be out in this world, standing for truth. We thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name, amen. Amen. Amen.